This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Quite frankly, I'd like the team to get to overtime more often. Maybe that's in the <laughs> offing with Marty Baron and Brian Duff. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, one and all. This is kind of the uh, Thanksgiving leftovers edition before you actually dive into the main course. Does that make any sense at all, Marty? That was something I would say, and then you'd look at me like, mm, having eyes behind the head type situation. So right. instead of in the back of the head. So anyway, uh, good, good, good job, though, Duffer. You make me feel good. Okay, we're going to start with Scouts Honor, right? We both put on our scouting hats last oh, week yes. to dive into the future while living in the present. Why don't you indulge our audience with your trip to Yoast Ice Arena? First of all, an amazing venue, right? Yoast Arena, University of Michigan, packed house, student section, band going, Scouts galore, um, there was so many people from the NHL there, but uh, just the, the atmosphere itself is amazing. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I go in, want to take in warm-up, and we're at the Michigan end of warm-up, right, my son and I. And it's just, it's so impressive, number one, to see Owen Power, Eric Portillo, Maddie Berniers, use Johnson. Uh, is it Johnson or Johnson? Johnson. Johnson, Yeah. So you've got all these guys on the ice, right? You got Bordelow, who's their leading scorer. You got Bruce, uh, Brisson's the kid of, uh, it's Pat Brisson's son, right? Yes. So he's on the ice. So, and oh, by the way, from Notre Dame, there's Josh Graziano, who's the backup goaltender with Notre, Notre Dame. He's a Buffalo kid. He's a, he went to Nichols, played for the Junior Sabres. Um, so I'm like, this is great. Like I'm a kid in a candy store. Like this is awesome. Again, again, as always. So here's my scouting report on Owen Power on Friday night. Now, I know they lost Friday night in overtime to Notre Dame. They did the same on Saturday. So as it pertained to Friday, I thought Owen Power covers a ton of ice. He skates. He's on the offense. He's on the defense. He's left. He's right. He just covers a ton of ice. Reminds me a lot the way that he moves of Victor Hedman. Now, Victor Edmund's bigger, a bigger body. And I know we've seen the comparison before, but seeing power live, I'm like, I can see the Victor Edmund comparison here. He didn't have a great game on Friday night. Um, he, the, the whole Michigan team, which is young, tried to force things against Notre Dame. And Owen was one of those guys too, tried to force things. So they turned the puck over. So they gave up a lot of two-on-ones, gave up breakaways, and gave, gave up a ton of situation. And even though Michigan was up to nothing, mm -hmm. they allowed Notre Dame to come back in. Shocker, two-nothing lead disappeared. It disappeared, right? So that happens not only in the NHL, that happens everywhere. So anyway, so for power, for me, his passes are like hard and on the tape. Mm -hmm. um, I love that he plays with his shoulders and his head forward a little bit. And the reason I'm saying that is he's not nonchalant on his heels. Like he's always looking for the puck. He's always getting low and, and trying to get to where the puck is. And boom, his stick is out, active stick. So there's a lot of great things to his game. But he did not have his best game turnovers, as I pointed out, especially in the second half. And then Notre Dame took over. So that leads me to Eric Portillo, the goaltender from Michigan, mm -hmm. who is a top goalie prospect for the Sabres. 
started the game with a great save on one kid that I really like on Notre Dame, Max Ellis. And I texted you right about him. As soon as I saw him, like he was fast, not big, but really quick. So he started with a great save on Ellis. Had a lot of really, really good saves. Played the puck really well. Um, unfortunately, he made a save on a breakaway. They came back and they tapped in the rebound type thing. So that's that's where it was at. Like he was left to face a lot of really quality chances down the stretch. At one point, I think Notre Dame was up 24-18 in shots in the game and then 36-30 or whatnot. Like they got doubled up in shots and just, you know, the third period in overtime. Um, the overtime goal was a one-timer on the power play that beat him 5-0. Um, again, he's a big guy. So to be able to close the legs and come across and really be, be, be solid is, is going to be a work in progress. But mm-hmm. I, um, I did like Pertillo's game. It was good. I don't think he was as good on Saturday night. Uh, but uh, power, I, I was impressed with his skating, impressed with what he can bring. Um, just probably was not the weekend to see Michigan because they lost both games in, in overtime to Notre Dame and most likely will be out of the number one spot when the polling comes out for college hockey. Well, you're the only one in America that calls it Notre Dame. So Notre Dame. No, but it's Notre Dame here in America. Notre? But Notre? Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole R-E-E-R thing, even though it is spelled R. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So, um, it's, uh, it, it, I, I'm hoping that you didn't, you know, curse their season, Marty, quite frankly, because, you know, well, I wouldn't have been the first one, the only one to, to think that, because there was, uh, um, a lot of people. That, so we had a showcase and there was a, le- a lot of teams from the, the showcase that went there. So yeah, yeah. teams from all over the place that are thinking, oh my goodness, we cursed them. But anyway, I don't think it is. You could see the talent and you could see the way yeah. they play. Um, but um, who was on with us um, the other day talked about, yeah. So he talked about how Michigan's a young team and the experience, uh, good college teams are going to start leaning on them mm-hmm. and start taking advantage of their youth and their skill and the way they want to play. And that's what Notre, Notre Dame did um, against Michigan on Friday night. See, you're a quick study. I love it. Um, the Amherst. Yeah, well, you were in Rochester while I was <laughs> over there, so that's good. Yeah. I had my scouting hat on. You had no. yours. Now, but I was not wearing this at the time, but let me just say this made an immediate impact on the uh, <laughs> Rochester audience. Uh, prior to puck drop, two people came up to the broadcast booth, which is essentially an extension of the crowd at Blue Cross yep. Arena. And uh, and made sure to show me in their garment bag, look what I've got because of you going on and on about, you know, the design, the softness, whatever, whatever. So, so they had just uh, stopped by the uh, Amherst, the Amherst uh, team gift store. shop, a yeah, team store. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So it was great. It was, it was, we, a, it was a great setup for the night. Now can we call it a gift shop or is, so we call it a team store? We call store. it the team store, Marty, just like we do here in Buffalo at Key Bank Center. So. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, Krebs, Quinn, Paterka are the most talked about trio among yes. the Amherst. Um, they started in the night together, and this was a game against uh, bottom feeders in their division, Lehigh Valley, who have really been up against it. And it did not go uh, particularly well for the Amherst. They had a lead mm-hmm. that disappeared, two-goal lead, by the way. And uh, before you knew it, they were down 3-2 after an abysmal second period when, depending on which scoring summary you want to read, they were outshot 20-4 to or somewhere in that range. It was a real struggle for them in their own zone. The breakouts were not clean at all. Um, so that's a collective effort, certainly not 
the three individuals that I referred to. However, Seth Appert split them up and put them on separate lines in period number three. So what you found was Paterka playing with Malone, which we had seen earlier in the year, and he also had mm -hmm. McInnes on the other side. He had Krebs playing with Weisbach, who showed amazing speed on his goal earlier in the game. And is a that a breakaway goal? Tremendous deke as well, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and a veteran in Jankowski. So my my initial concern uh, was that people are immediately going to say, "Oh my God!" Like they're demoting Krebs. It's like no, they're not demoting anybody here. Like they they trust that they can roll three lines and Krebs is a guy that typically makes others better. That's the whole beauty of him. So yeah. then you had, and it was really hard to tell because it was kind of a small sample size and they were owning the puck for so long. The first sequence that I noticed them together, um, it was Quinn with Murray and Mersh. So it was actually hard to tell who was the center because they weren't taking any face-offs. Um, but Obviously, Quinn and Murray have both played it. Merce has two at times. But the point is the three of them were together and they were outstanding and it, and it led to them coming back. So they, they got it even at three, went ahead 4-3. Um, unfortunately, found themselves in a coincidental penalty situation late, which led to a five on four with the goalie out. And before you knew it, you know, we were seeing them in a shootout. But that's where Quinn and uh, Paterka put Paterka, on a show, yeah. but, but I will just say this. I mean, just to not bore you with all the details, which I just did. Um, Quinn, Quinn was like, I can't get over how much he sees the ice and from the wing position, by the way, but it's the off wing position. So the best thing arguably that Seth Appert has done this year is put Paterka and Quinn on their off wings where they're super comfortable Yeah, because both of them just handle the game really well from there. Um, Paterka is, he's unafraid. And obviously if you think back to some of the commentary in the preseason and maybe why he didn't get the look to start the year at Buffalo, um, because he's unafraid in the defensive zone too. And sometimes that, you know, doesn't get the puck out as efficiently as, as it should. Um, but I'll tell you, like his, his bursts of energy are so noticeable. And it's, Marty, it's everything we talked about in the preseason. You recognize when he's the guy going into the zone on the forecheck. And he still plays way bigger than what the bio indicates. What? He looks bigger than he actually is. And that is... That is such a tremendous trait to have, I think, at that so, age and so an experience you, level. When you say so. that, like I remember Paterka skating in training camp. Again, two hands on his stick, shoulders low, head mm. forward, and he's on the prowl. Like he's hunting pucks. Yeah. He's going. Yeah. It's the same thing I noticed in Owen Power. So for me, that I like that. It's like a guy that's hungry to go in, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I there's an expression, and we talk about it a lot, is, is going downhill, like yeah. skating downhill. Like Paterka skates downhill. Like he's not like twirling the parachute and like it's backing up, right? Mm -hmm. It's no, it's going downhill and and being on the hunt. And and so that to me is is exactly what I want to hear from you is that you can notice him still having that that hunger to get after pucks, even mm -hmm. though the season started really well for him. Um, training camp went well it hasn't slowed him down it's still the same thing yeah and obviously with Krebs it was great to see the next night in Utica which was a 5-3 loss when they were down 5-0 and UPL got pulled after four goals 
Um, they kept pushing and it was great for Krebs to get his five on three goal. So he's got his first one as an Amherst. Um, yep. But I, of all the guys, if Craig Krebs comes through this with the fewest points this year out of the group, I will be the least concerned out of everyone. Um, right. It's all about how he plays. I, I, I think I, I know Perfetti is probably getting written up in, in Winnipeg in the AHL, you know, uh, you know, with the moose uh, uh, at a similar level, like just wait, the points are going to come even more. It's, it's what he does intelligence wise, positioning wise, okay. motor never stops that he does for, to help other players around him. I, I just huge fan of the way he plays the game. So, you know, Seth's got a lot of options to work with up front. Uh, it would be unfair if I didn't mention that Brett Murray had a couple of goals that night. And, and the, the beauty of Brett's game is it, all the goals come from within 10 feet, if not right in the crease and, and for, you know, and I, I still don't know if it's ever going to translate at the NHL level, but don't change Brett Murray. Um, the organization needs guys like you. So I almost that's... feel like, and I'm going to bring a name from the past. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I say Brett Murray, I think about Denny Hamel. Oh yeah. And so, well, Denny was known for a big shot though. Well, that's what, but his tool was a big shot, right? And he could let it go in the AHL. And he got to the NHL and it did not translate. He didn't have the speed to have other parts of his game really mm -hmm. um, make him a, 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 a regular in the National Hockey League. Yeah. So Brett Murray's different game because it's a net front presence type guy. But do you have other things around that that can make you a regular? Now, the big shot of Denny Hamel in, in, in the American League and is the rest of his game was, was good enough in the American League. So he got to score 50 in the AHL and mm -hmm. he got to use his big shot. But as soon as he got to the NHL, what would deficiencies he had around his game didn't allow him to stay there and didn't allow him to use his shot at all. And so for Brett Murray, is that the same thing? And that's what the question is right now is mm -hmm. are the deficiency around deficiencies around his, his net front presence type game um, too big to, to overcome, to be able to stay in the NHL and then thus far making you a really, really, really solid American league player, mm -hmm. a guy that will help you win, get to the playoffs, win in the playoffs, but that's the end of the road. Right? So Question marks still out there, but that's that's how I kind of look at it, and and I don't know. I'm still I'm still thinking about this one. Yeah, I just love it when he scores from there, though, because it's so noticeable yeah. that he's the only one up top or down there that is doing it with with any regularity. Um, I will say this: I, I wanted to point out a, a really smart play by Quinn. You know, they were pushing uh, to get the game even, and um, and and they were in the offensive zone for quite a while. That was again, the, the newly configured line with, with Murray yeah. and Mersh. I think it takes a great amount of, uh, understanding hockey IQ and selflessness to when you're wired, the way Quinn is wired to make a line change when you're in the offensive zone. Yeah. He goes off first, Malone comes on. 
Seconds later, Mersh goes off. Paterka comes in, and he is screaming into the offensive zone. Just happens to pick up a ricochet off the end wall and then bank it in off the goaltender to score the goal. And I was like, holy crap. Like, none of this happens if the players on the ice remained selfish and extended their shifts to 90 seconds or whatever, right? And and those are the little details that okay, I Okay, so I was really happy that Quinn started that. Details of the game. They're in you or they're not in you. They can be thought. Um, you can have somebody kind of always hammer those details of the game and you can learn them as you go. But I find it that the players either have the details or don't. And not that we want to talk like Sabres game specifically, but there was a moment, a moment in the Columbus game uh, last Monday where at the end of a penalty kill, Anders Bjork came in and took a shot on Carpasalo right in the chest. Mm-hmm. Carpasalo's covered it. And I believe it was maybe 4-2 at the time. I think that's that's when that happened. And uh, Corpusello covered it. And Bjork, instead of stopping in front of the goalie and being like, okay, we're going to get a whistle. We're going to get an offensive zone face-off. He took the shot. Corpusello saves it. Skated right by Corpusello. Corpusello gives the puck to his defenseman. They go up the ice. 35 seconds later, it's in the back of Buffalo's net, right? Mm -hmm. Details of the game. So the fact that you're talking about details of the game and Jack Quinn that don't have anything to do with scoring goals. Like right. this Anders Bjork moment has nothing to do with scoring goals or being in defensive position or knowing what you do on the faceoffs, but it's knowing the extra things and when to change, when to like scream and where to go when you come off the ice. Like there's guys on the bench that are literally looking at the rafters. And then their name gets called and they're like, oh, I've got my winger. I'm jumping on the ice. I have no idea how long the other line has been on the ice for the other right. team. If their defense have changed, what's the situation of the game? They don't know. And the fact that Paterka jumped on the ice and knew and knew where to go or mm-hmm. Quinn realized I need to change because we're in the offensive zone. Like that, that's inner. That's in you. And, and it's not been in you from one year. It's been in you from 10 years. That's yeah. how these people are wired, and I love it. So the Amherst faced adversity in overtime after owning the puck for the first two and a half minutes. Malone got called for a tough penalty. It was boarding, and it was you know clearly a violation of safety standards. Uh, <laughs> I just don't think it was particularly um, intentional. But anyway, it put them on the kill for the last 205 Did he of the say game. sorry after he did it? He probably did, but... So that shouldn't pre- have been a penalty. Pre- preceded by some ex- expletives, but... Um, <laughs> It was funny because so then, you know, you go from having two forwards on the ice to two defensemen to kill the penalty the rest of the way. Yeah. And I actually inadvertently said when I was doing color on the broadcast that at the end of it all, when they survived that Samuelson and Fitzgerald had played the entirety of the penalty. They actually, they did such a good job in the first minute of the kill that they snuck off the ice for 20 seconds. <laughs> this was how bad Lehigh Valley was at this point in time. They got nothing out of it. So they literally had a pair out there for 20 seconds, then went right back off. And Samuelson made a game-saving block when they were under really high duress in the final minute. So I got to give him credit. Uh, I know- Was it a block or a save? Oh, no. Uh, Ethan Prow had a save because he was in behind Hauser at one point earlier in the game, but this okay. this was a big block by Samuelson. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, just- just assessing Samuelson because I think he's next up out of everybody. It, it, it makes sense to me that of all the guys that are down there and based on all the positions that, you know, are kind of in flux, 
and injuries, of course, too, that can happen. I think Samuelson would be the next guy up because he played here 12 games last year. Um, uh, and his game yeah, is, he, is he, needs to be tailored to the NHL because he's a big body, like stay at home type defenseman mm-hmm. that yeah, it's great that you're getting minutes and you're playing a great role in Rochester, but to see how he can adjust to the NHL and, and really be able to feel the NHL speed and physicality is the difference for him. So that's why I agree with you. He'd probably be the first one up on the list. Um, even if there's no injuries and there's, it's just at some point they have to mm-hmm. say he needs to come up so that he gets those reps in the NHL. Yeah. And obviously he's incredibly coachable. They love him down there. There's some things that they want to work on angle wise in the D zone and, and getting the pucks out. And, and again, this was problematic for the whole group, but I, I would say this, I, I, I think sometimes you you get attracted to too many uh, of the poor moments, even if there's only like two or three of them over the course of a game, and then you forget how stable the rest of the game can be. But I was really, really happy for both Fitzgerald and and Samuelson, how they finished that game when it kind of got off to a rocky start. So uh, there's that, and obviously ongoing evaluation of uh, the Amherst and all our prospects throughout Saberland. Um, So so because we were on a scouting trip, do we get to turn in our uh, expenses? Is there like a, such a thing that I can turn in my parking, my gas, my pizza, my large Coke, uh, the popcorn I had? Like, man, I was all over that stuff. Well, maybe you should talk to our sponsor. And when you're serious about the game, bet on Buffalo at the only sports books in Western New York. Seneca Resorts and Casinos betting counters are open daily and self-service betting kiosks are available 24-7 at all three locations. Whether you visit Seneca, Niagara, Allegheny or Buffalo Creek, the Sports Lounge features the latest lines and multiple screens so you never miss a play. The sports book at Seneca Resorts and Casinos where the love of the game meets the thrill of the win. Marty, we have gone through an awful lot already. Yes. So much so that I want to dive right into the fun part before we, again, let people, whatever time of day you're digesting this along with all your Thanksgiving fare, um, we want to have some fun here. And this is not an original idea, but who are we to force feed original ideas to you at a time when, (laughs) look, we all follow the masses on a day like this. We eat turkey, we eat stuffing, gravy, mashed potatoes. I want to get into something that's near and dear to our hearts and maybe more so mine than yours, but that's probably because I'm going to assume based on the age difference and my ridiculous passion for it, I have gone to more concerts than you have in my lifetime. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I was starting to, like my head was spinning about new idea, what's going on. So this is producer Jeff just reminding us what the masses on social media are talking about these days. So it's first concert, last concert, best concert, worst concert, loudest, most surprising, seen most, next, wish I could have seen. Why don't we allow you to proceed? You can throw it back my way or you can rattle through your list however quickly you see fit. Okay, well, Jeff, take notes because we'll have to tweet this out um, as uh, along with, uh, um, with this going on right now. So first concert. Now, I can go out and tell you the artists that I saw that were French-speaking, right? I remember going to a first concert, I believe it was Richard Seguin. Like, he was a a French-Canadian artist. It was during a a summer festival. Um, My dad knew the bouncer, right? The the security guard. So he snuck us in right side stage in front of the stage. But but it's not going to register. People are going to be like, who? What what the heck is Mm -hmm. that? So my first um, pop culture... American music type concert 
and they're coming back to KeyBank Center next summer because I studied the, the commercials at the rink. It was New Kids on the Block. Believe it or not, mm -hmm. I went I to it. a New Kids on the Block concert back in the hanging tough moment where they had the arm going, oh, oh. <laughs> like it was our step-by-step -step and all that stuff. So listen, I have no shame. I'm not embarrassed to admit. I liked it. I was a kid in high school, I believe, or just mm -hmm. uh, maybe uh, middle school. But uh, I went to a New Kids on the Block concert. Um, so that's oh, my first concert. Okay. I'll let you rattle a few of them, and then I'll catch well, up. Well, let's you. go back and forth. So uh, okay. I, mine, mine was the Scorpions. It was the Heavy Metal Hurricane. No way. For CNE Stadium in Toronto. Love it for Sting Tour. And they had openers like Quiet Riot, Kickaxe, and Helix. The ticket was $20. The Scorpions were amazing. I would go on to see them multiple times. During did you whistle? Did you whistle to Winds of Change at the that end? That was like... after Marty. That was albums later. That song oh. did not exist in their catalog, even though by the time I discovered the Scorpions and they had not yet maybe hit their highest level, they still had volume one and volume two of their greatest hits. So already. Oh, yeah. So th that's what was the nature of the 70s and early 80s was record labels were trying to get more content out there oh, even yeah. though the bands couldn't keep up creatively so they kept pushing that's why you always saw the ktel bs and you know all those commercials as yeah, a yeah. kid like here's another example of our artist compilation right anyway so those were our first concerts what was your last concert marty my last concert i believe was elton john um here at the arena so um a fantastic uh, I, i'm gonna say fantastic one of the best i've seen it won't be listed as the best mm -hmm. uh but just elton john uh the yellow brick road uh, concert my son and i went and i truly truly appreciate an artist like elton john who thanks the, the 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 fans after every song that has a story to tell with every piece of music and lyrics that he's put together um so yeah so um just was, just an I, amazing time i was lucky enough to see that show uh, at staples center in la that's uh, right you did in, in advance of the all-star game in san jose you got to make the trips worthwhile most recent concert was phineas just over a week ago in washington dc at one of my uh. favorite little venues the 9 30 <laughs> club uh phineas was amazing and unique and super fun and i still envision his greatness for decades to come whether it's on the producing side of his sister and presumably others, Billie Eilish, of course. And uh, I just think this kid can do anything he wants in music you know and what? it was super fun. Yeah. I just realized that's who you went to see mm -hmm. because you mentioned you went to see Phineas and I was like, okay, I don't know. But you're right now that you mentioned it, that's right, that's Billie Eilish's brother. These two are really, really creative and, and pretty special. So um, man, I, now I'm, I'm jealous a little bit. So- Best concert? Um, best concert. I will go very easy, Garth Brooks. Um, I go back to what, 99, I believe, when he came yeah. to Buffalo and was here for a, a week. I did not know Garth Brooks, did not know who he was, the music he sang. I went to the concert, I got out of there, I went and bought, bought his double CD album, all of it. I was like, this was insane. The energy that Garth Brooks and his band put together on stage mm -hmm. and for seven days in a row. And, and a couple of those were back to back, like two concerts in the same day or whatever, just unbelievable. So best concert 
by far God Brooks. Impossible question for me to answer. Totally unfair. Too many shows, terrible memory, and just it, it, it truly is impossible because there are big shows along the lines of Garth Brooks that, you know, from major artists that, that would have wowed the senses entirely. Uh, I'll keep it smaller in the sense that Gaslight Anthem, when they, this is, you know, uh, three years ago now, they, it, it was kind of a reunion. It was sold as the 10th anniversary of their best album, which was the 59 sound. And it was essentially a farewell tour, even though they weren't saying it at the time and they still haven't said it, but it's true. Yeah. So it was all those in one, which was emotion. And I was there for night one when they returned to the stage Memorial day weekend in DC at the nine 30 club where I was just at. And to see artists have pure joy unaffected by whatever caused probably their separation to begin with um it was just the best and the fan experience was unique there was this massive dude behind me who at one point like just and again pre-covid like just wrapped his arms around me he was having <laughs> so much fun as were all of us witnessing what was transpiring on stage that it was just like yep I'm in the right place. So uh, uh, there's a million great. others like Rustin Kelly twice at the Ryman in Nashville, which is the mother church is it. But I mean, honestly, the list goes on there. There've been so many. So, okay. Worst concert. <laughs> now this may not be fair, but I'm totally still going to call fair. it as. So I went to see the uh, Def Leppard journey concert at the arena a couple of years back or three years back now. And uh, journey was fantastic by the way, but they do have the younger guys singing now. And, and instead of Steve Perry and, um, the voice was there and they can still play their instrument and all that. But Def Leppard, I was going to see Def Leppard, right? Because I'm like, I remember growing up watching them and, and the videos and, and all of that. That was our anthem in the locker room for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it was not good. Um, the, the, <laughs> the voices are not there. They, yeah. you know, it's look, I'm not expecting what are they in their sixties now to be doing what they were doing in their twenties, but uh -huh. still I wanted a little bit more. And that was uh, scratch my head on that one a few times. Yeah. I, I, I don't even know if I have a proper answer for this one. There've been very few. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever walked out of a show. Um, I was never a huge kiss fan, like appreciated everything they did. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously they're hall of famers. I, I saw them in Roch a few years ago and I don't know, just didn't live up. But to again, it's not fair because we're not seeing them in their prime, right? Like we, oh, no, that's like, not true. I mean, I, I, I'm more than willing to see people not in their prime. I, I, I don't gauge it that way, but, um, no, I just didn't love it. Um, but okay. you know, and honestly, in the first concert I ever saw, like the Scorpions quiet riot was the next biggest band. I hated them, like yeah. hated them. And I liked them on albums, but I just thought Kevin DeBro as a lead singer was just not really great on stage as far as yeah. his interaction. I'm 13 and I'm evaluating this, right? It must have been bad <laughs> if it stuck with me <laughs> this yes. long. Uh, loudest show you were ever at. Oh, wait, we, oh, loudest show. Um, okay, so there's two. I'm going to give you Eric, um, Eric Church in a little venue across the street from Madison Square Garden in New York. Uh, look, I was on the balcony side of the stage and the speakers were right there and I almost fell off. Right. And they, Eric Church has got his one guitarist. He looks like he could play in Metallica. It has the, the angled guitar and he's like, he's big dude. And he's just going into it. Yeah. So that was really, really loud. And, and co loudest show was when I went, I think it was fallout boys at the arena 
with Machine Gun Kelly before, and then every time I die, played, yeah, and they were loud. Like they're a local Buffalo band, and it was the the fan base in Buffalo was right there on top of the stage, enjoyed every second of it, mm-hmm. and they were loud. So I'm gonna say every time I die, and Eric Church uh, loudest I've seen. Evans blew at the Royal Hotel in Tilsonburg, Ontario. They blew the sound system, delayed the show, and I was convinced that I had hearing damage, which I may still have from that particular night. Outdoor show, loudest ever in Rochester. Six bands throughout the day, including, of course, my favorite Gaslight Anthem. But when, as night was just starting to fall, and again, this is a large outdoor venue, offspring took to the stage and they went from two to 10 on the volume level in an outdoor park that was kind of in a residential area so i'm thinking this could go over really poorly for the neighborhood based on how loud the offspring were but amazing and it was so so the other night at the sabers game they played offspring during like a commercial break or whatever stops to play so I'm like, I haven't listened to Smash, right? The album in forever. Mm-hmm. So driving to Detroit Friday morning at like 6 a.m. because I needed to wake up. I played that the album from, from first song to the last. Oh, I was right awake the whole two hours. Woohoo! It was great. Okay. Uh, uh, everybody's most, into dessert now, so we really got to pick up the pace. Okay, most, most, uh, most surprising. surprising. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you this. Uh, I have two. One was... Um, uh, oh, well, one was Janet Jackson. Okay? okay. Because I went to Janet Jackson in the arena. Somebody gave me tickets and I got out of there and it was awesome. It was a fantastic, it was before the old, uh, wall, um, wardrobe malfunction, but still like it was, uh, Janet Jackson was awesome. And the other one is, uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Ricky, um, this, the, the, um, oh, go ahead. I'll figure it out. Uh, you go. You're most surprising. I'll tell yeah, you. I think I know. I think I know where you're going, but you've stumped me as well. Um, Ricky I Martin, was, Ricky, Ricky Martin. Martin was the one because he, I thought he only had one good song at the time. And that's right. when my early days in Buffalo yeah. and he came on the stage and the whole like two hours was filled with fireworks and lights and dancers. And it was like incredible. So I'm going to say most surprising was him. Uh, at the arena, it was definitely Panic at the Disco. It was the front end of their tour, oh, yeah. literally the first show. The cross-section in the audience was amazing as far as uh, young to old. And you talk about rehearsing for the moment and killing it on night one of the tour. So much fun. So talented. So theatrical. It was absolutely perfect for an arena show. Smaller and right before COVID as part of a big festival on the beach in Lauderdale. Matt Mason has a voice that can carry literally for miles. It was one of the most stunning things I've ever seen. And I can't wait to see Matt Mason on a full tour at some point in the near future. Uh, Seen the most, Marty. Uh, For me, it doesn't really register. I don't think I've seen anybody more than a couple of times. Uh, I remember I saw Shania Twain a couple of times. I saw like the, 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 the time, which was funny. I saw Shania Twain in Rochester and then in Buffalo. And it was the night of a preseason game. Mm. So in Buffalo, the team was on the road and me and Eric Bolton were not traveling with the team. So we went and because the wives were all in the suite. So we decided to go with them, but we got tickets right by the stage. And Mm. Eric Bolton, every song is yelling at Shania Twain. That's my favorite song, Shania. I love you. It's my favorite song. So she starts a new song. Shania, that's my favorite song. 
it was, oh, we had a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, I seen her a couple of times, good old Canadian artists. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've seen one that I would say, oh, I went to eight shows. Like, yeah. Well, as you know, I have. I'm fiercely yes. loyal and so many on my list that I've seen multiple times. Airborne Toxic event, Anne Berlin, uh, Jack's Mannequin, Foo Fighters, Catfish in the Bottom and Green Day Blink, Goo Goo Dolls. Um, but Gaslight Anthem, because of the start of that tour that I told you about, I, I don't know what it was. And I don't know if anybody else has ever had this kind of luck with tickets. And it was never my intention. They didn't roll out everything all at once. And they kept releasing the next show and the next show kind of thing. I ended up going, there were only 12 dates in North America on this tour. Yeah. I went to seven of them. Oh my God. On the same tour, two in DC, two in Toronto, three at Asbury park, New Jersey, their home. Like, so, and then you add all the other times I've seen them. So gaslight wins the day on that. One. Wins the day. Okay. Next one Duffer, because I know you got something lined up for me. I have no idea who is the next one, but you got to mm. have somebody lined up. Uh, Arkell's at Town Ballroom in Buffalo in January, unless something up comes up in between that same weekend, Brian Fallon here in Buffalo, uh, gang of youths, finally, as they were my COVID discovery band. And I've got tickets for two of their shows a little later in the next year, along with Dave Haas. So that's that. And, and wish I would have seen, um, yes. I'll start with wish I would have seen, and this would be like, Oh, Marty, it's so generic. And I'm going to say like, and, and this is like, I'm going back. I wasn't even like really alive when I wish I would have seen them, but it's the Beatles. And the only reason I'm saying that is because one year in Philadelphia, I got to see rain, the cover band, the Beatles cover yeah. band called rain. And I got out of that concert. Like I felt like I had just seen, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, uh, George Harrison, Ringo Starr. I, I felt like I had seen the four of them in mm. real. And I, I wanted to consume it all. Like it was unbelievable. And I'm like, I can't imagine what it would have been if I had seen the real thing. So that's why I wish I would have seen the Beatle because I saw rain and it was just amazing. All right. That leads me into mine. And I'm going to read an excerpt from Rolling Stone magazine. Okay. For the second encore of their first full concert in 27 years at London's O2 Arena last night, Led Zeppelin tore into rock and roll from their untitled fourth album with a joyful vengeance. As drummer Jason Bonham hammered with the ghostly precision and ferocity of his late father, guitarist Jimmy Page fired dirty chunks of Chuck Berry, and bassist John Paul Jones kept iron time with familiar reserve. Singer Robert Plant sang the most obvious words of the night. Been a long time since I rock and roll. Overhead images of a much younger Zeppelin in concert during the early and mid 70s flashed on a huge digital video screen. In those films, Led Zeppelin were the biggest, loudest and most cocksure band in rock. Jimmy Page's snow white hair was still jet black. Robert Plant was a golden god, not yet a Viking <laughs> elder. And the late John Bonham, whose death in 1980 abruptly ended Zeppelin's reign, still ruled the engine room. But the band that played underneath those memories last night was not the one that misfired at Live Aid in 1985 or again in New York in 1988. This one was rehearsed, ready, and out to kill. This band was Led Zeppelin in every way. 
That wow. happened in 2007. I was working in Toronto, AM 640, sister station Q107 with Derringer in the mornings. The morning show was in London for this show. Wow. And I always said, I, at the time, it was a big reach to say I would pay $500 for a ticket to go see Zeppelin. Now I would pay thousands. It never happened. It was the closest anyone ever came. And God bless those that did make it. But it never materialized into a tour, which everybody thought it would. Mm -hmm. And I, when I read that review, looking this up last night, like chills all the way through. I've seen Plant multiple times. I've seen Paige. I've seen Jason Bonham. But never had the chance to see them together. And for all the different genres and stuff that I like now, there's no greater influence to any of the music that I've ever indulged in than Led Zeppelin. No, so. that's awesome. Um, what an article. Oh, like what an article. Through, what, what's this such review, beautiful it, it reminds writing. you of how you should try. Exactly. It reminds you of how we should always try to tell a story. And that it, is awesome. That is, that oh. is awesome. So listen, this was definitely like, I mean, you've got a lot more experience in the music business that I do. I go and see the top pop artists. You go in and you find these bands and you grow with them and, uh, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to follow you on the road once in a while when we uh, when we get to travel a little bit and and see what kind of concert I find myself in. Uh, uh, we are really out of time here. Like really out of time. Do we have time for three stars? Yeah, let's do our three stars really quickly. Um, so so I, I for me it's really easy. The three stars lately. Tristan Jari. I got to put a goalie in there. I mean, he's been fantastic with Pittsburgh. He had a shutout streak that pushed. Uh, what was it? 160, 145 or something like okay. that. It was two and a half more, almost three. So Tristan Jari first, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give him a star. I, it's not first, second, third. I'm giving him a star. I'm giving a star to Nazim Kadri. Mm. When he plays the yeah. right way, he is <laughs> unbelievable. Now people are going to say like Nazim Kadri. Are you mm. kidding me? Do you know where he sits right now in the scoring, uh, lead or race in the national hockey league four behind yeah. dry sidle mcdavid and ovechkin Nine as we record streak. this he's fourth mm -hmm. that's unbelievable so cadre and then another star and i'm gonna keep buffalo centric tage thompson listen the kid is playing great hockey in a position that everybody is like oh, it's so hard to play center in the nhl and he is doing it and producing and enjoying the game so Tage Thompson, Nazim Kadri, and Tristan Jari are my three stars. Well, I should make Rolling Stone an honorable uh, star yes. based on the article, the, the review of that show that I just read. Um, Arizona's Karel Vamelka finally oh, gets his first NHL win. Finally. So he's, he's on the board for me. The 11-day power play is on the board for me. Two million plus now in donations. Yes. And what an amazing event that all of them. I mean, every single person that touched this event and played in it, congrats and thank you. Heartfelt thank you on behalf of all of us here at the Instigators. And very fittingly, we were touched by a visit this week at Key Bank Center by a young girl who three years ago we got to know yep. because of her battle and the incredible instant connection that was forged between her and Nate Beaulieu. Zeta Smith stopped by the set. She is 18. She is so beautiful. And um, 
I, Marty, it took my breath away, honestly, yeah. to see her. And, um, and, and what I am so proud of in seeing her is the reminder of the connections that you can get from within this game. And I don't care what anyone has ever thought about Nate Beaulieu, the player. The impact that this guy has had on one girl's life. Yep. And you know what? You know what that night was when Zeta came by the set? It was Winnipeg's Hockey Fights Cancer Night. And that's uh, where Nate Beaulieu is today. Yeah, listen, Duffer. Um, Monday night is our Hockey Fights Cancer in Buffalo. And I know we're going to be emotional all night long because now that I've been with you for five years and we've met and you were here, you know, many years before that, you've met yeah. so many people in the process and it becomes so emotional. But so during the home games, you're at the desk because you're plugged into all your wires. And I sit right on the edge of the wall to see the action. I'm not at the desk during the game. And I turn around because I heard a voice. I turn around and Zeta was there. And I took my headset off and I kind of <laughs> ran up to you guys to like to see her because it's so good to it's good to have people in the building again, but it's good to have certain individual that, you know, we've 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 grown closer to sure. um so yeah so she was big smile as always um even though the game wasn't going so well for the sabers but she's still wearing her 82 bowl new jersey <laughs> and uh bought our tickets for march already when they're in town and uh yeah, yeah um well said I, I first first star for sure um to zeta there and we get to see her again on our Hockey Fights Cancer Night yes. on Monday. Uh, sorry for, I hope this was like background soundtrack to your Thanksgiving. And we hope you enjoyed it. We look forward to the next Instigators Overtime presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos.